Adrian Maidman. Welcome to the podcast, I'm Also, where we talk to people with multiple careers, pursuits, and interests. My guest for this episode is Evan Pope. Evan is the sound engineer at 11B Studio at the Mount in Tauranga. Hello, Evan. Hello. I guess I should start with, with a, what do you, what does a sound engineer do? Uh, basics. There's, yeah, we'll basics. Basics, because yeah, I could get into it quite deep, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, the basics are is your job is to get the sound that the artist or the band or whatever they're doing, whether or not it's in a studio or on a stage, is to get the sound that they're making to more people so they can hear it. Whether or not it's engineering it so the sound goes to a recording or engineering it so the sound goes through a PA system at a concert. So it's basically getting sound from the artist to the public. That's a good answer. And what's the big difference between, say, in the studio to a live gig? There's actually probably more similarities than there are differences. The only, the main difference is in a studio, you have time to think about, is this the right microphone? Is this the right guitar? And you also have a nice environment to listen to. You have really nice speakers. You're in a soundproof room. Things are a lot more controlled. In a live sound situation, it's basically just a bit of chaos, and you are kind of... S- the person who is kind of in charge of controlling that chaos you're dealing with you know a large echoey room most of the time or if you're outside you're dealing with weather elements um you don't really have time to think about things too much you 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 set up the band plays and sound checks and you do as best as you can to um, reproduce what they're doing on a mass scale so a bunch of people can hear it and um and then you go so it's a lot less controlled in a live sound situation and does the band give you a lot of direction it depends. Some some artists are very specific about what they want uh, uh, from their sound. You know, they they're very specific about you know certain parts of certain elements in their music need to be louder than others or have certain effects on them, um, and and certain artists are are happy to let you do your thing. Um, a lot of artists travel with their own sound engineer because of that because the sound is 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 such an integral part of the performance um they want someone on board who kind of knows their songs and knows when to push things and pull things in the mix because you do you do that as well don't you for... uh, yeah I do, yeah i do both yeah yeah you've got what bands do you do that for uh so i i've been working with a band called swamp thing for about six years now i think and um and they're one of the they're probably they're the only band that I kind of exclusively mix for them. Um, but then I do mix for a lot of other bands, you know, for one-off gigs here or just a tour here or something like that. Is there any, like, you go into, the, like, a room or something, you go, man, this sounds just terrible. I'm not going to do much of this. Yeah, I mean, generally, it's it's actually a lot of, generally, it's the smaller gigs that are the harder gigs to do. Because the smaller gigs, you're in a bar that's not set up for good acoustics. Usually bars are just boxes that are extremely um, echoey. There's a lot of, echo- and then they're slappy and there's a lot of, and they're not symmetrical. So you have to go and, and, and try to make sense of a room like that. You know, with drums are, uh, drums are echoing in the room louder than what the PA can produce. So yeah, it can be quite difficult. Well, what place has good sound? What place is good sound? Usually you hear people mm. go, oh, this sounds terrible. It's yeah. like a standard line. You go, oh, this sounds terrible. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people uh, don't take into account their environment that they're in. I, I, like, I personally like mixing outside a lot because when you're mixing outside, you don't really have 
uh, an environment at all, really, because the sound just goes away. It doesn't bounce off walls or ceilings um, or, you know, people won't talk over the PA system. Um, so generally, I like doing outside... Um, like the jazz festival. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I, I think one of my favorite sounding venues in New Zealand, and I mean, it's a great venue, is probably the power station. Oh, yeah. I think that sounds great. The PA system in there is really, really good. Um, the guy who owns the place has put a lot of time into uh, making it a fantastic sounding venue. So that's probably one of my favorite places to mix in. What about the setup? You see, like, you watch a documentary and it's like, like the sound guy seems to be spending hours setting up the sound. Yeah. Well, I think that there's saying a sound engineer is mixing the sound is that's probably in in his daily routine. Let's say, you know, I'm hired to do a gig. I'm hired to mix a band due to the sound. The actual mixing of the band when they're on stage is probably about 15 to 20% of the work I've actually done that day. It's the smallest part. It's the loading the trucks, unloading the trucks, setting up the gear, uh, sound checking, all that kind of stuff takes the majority of your time. You know, that's there, you know, gigs are easily, you know, 12 to 20 hour days and you're actually physically mixing for maybe two of those hours and everything else is just set up and plugging in cables and running leads and, and fiddling with microphones. And what's, what's some of the biggest gigs you've, you've been involved in? Some of the biggest gigs, um, I've been doing, I've been working at the one love festival for a few years now. Um, I just got off a tour with uh, doing uh, mixing uh, Stellar and the Feelers. Oh. That was a pretty cool tour. Um, yeah, I'm um, getting ready to do Sound Splash. These are these are kind of festivals that I've done for a few years in a row. Um, there's a sound company I work with called NZ Sound Reinforcement, and I've been with them freelancing with them for probably about five or six years now. And um, most of the big kind of, I guess you'd say bigger in quotation marks gigs that I do are, are through them. Um, I do personally work for a couple of bands that have had a good deal of success. Um, I do personally work for a band called LMNOP. Um, and I'm actually working for them while they open up for Billy Idol on Sunday. Ooh. So that'll be, that's going to be a pretty cool gig. It's, it'll be a high pressure gig because it's like they're opening up. I'm doing them and I'm also doing uh, Stellar. And so I'm doing the two opening bands. Uh, so there's kind of quite a lot of pressure for. Um, How does the sound the difference between like the opening band? You know, you hear the opening band, it's kind of yeah. doo, 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 and then the big band comes on and it's. Boom. Well, yeah. Well, because I mean, really I'm being technical there. No, I mean, but but you're kind of right in that in that sense. Um, there's really like this gig is Billy Idol's gig. Yeah. So all the gear that's been hired and everything has been specced according to uh, his performance requirements. Yeah. So then every, every other band that comes in that day just has to work with basically what they're given. Uh, I wouldn't say leftover, but like they're not really allowed to mess with it too much. It's, it's Billy Idol's gig, so everything is about that, and everyone else is just basically um, does the best they can with what they're given. So... Um, and it's also and it's also give you have, also, sorry, do you have like a separate little system for the other. No, nah, no, nah, it'll be it'll, it's the same system but it's kind of um just the general way that 
gigs run. I can't I can't think of the word right now. But you get three faders instead of sixteen. No, nah, it, it's it's kind of a polite thing. Like yeah. their it's their gig, so you don't go louder than them. Yeah. So generally, you progress throughout the the day. Like the first band will be mixed at a certain volume, and then the next band maybe you can bump them up a little bit. Oh. But you you never want to, you know, be outshine yeah the outshine the, the main act when they come on. It's their gig, yeah. and you want people to go, "Holy crap, this is amazing!" Yeah. This band, but everyone else there is there to kind of warm them up. So you still want to do a great job, but yeah, you definitely don't want to. So some guys with a volume button, basically. Well, th- there is generally just system tech that kind of says, okay, these are the volumes we can we can mix yeah. at. Um, but it's just also just a known thing yeah. in the industry that you never push it too much if you're the opening yeah. sound engineer. You just you 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 do a good mix. You don't push anything too much, and yeah, and you you let things kind of sit a little bit. Because I guess you don't get asked back if you. Well, not only that, it's just a kind of the polite thing yeah. to do. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, going back to where it all started. Because you're from born in New Zealand, aren't aren't you? Yeah. But then you went to America. America. Yeah. Did you want to talk about that, or is it? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, (laughs) in the current in the current political climate, I just tell people like I'm Canadian. You know, it's a lot easier sometimes. But um, no, I uh, I was born here. My parents were both American. They're on holiday when I was born, and then my dad got offered a good job back in the states, so they went back there, and I lived there for most of my life. I came back and here. Schooling, you did your schooling there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, but just general schooling. Yeah. Um, and then I I moved back to New Zealand when, oh, in two thousand eleven. So. And you came to Tauranga. I did. Was it a choice or just? It w- It was a choice because I wanted a city that I could ride my motorcycle year round in. So I I looked at like the weather patterns for cities of New Zealand, and uh, I liked the fact that um, Tauranga was close enough to a lot of other cities but also had warm weather so that's why it shows here so it was a motorcycle purpose not yeah yeah because yeah and and i grew up you know in chicago as a, a extremely hot in the winter uh, in the summers and extremely cold in the winters and i wanted a place that was a bit more temperate like if i went to wellington because there's, there's a good music and creative scene in wellington but the weather's pretty the- pretty meh so, so I decided one day, here. One day, yeah. Yeah. Day. yeah. And so did you get into when did you get into the sound side of things? Was that here? I, I actually didn't get into sound until probably a few months after I moved here to New Zealand. I'd always kind of done it on a personal level in the States. Mm-hmm. I, you're a drummer as well. Yeah. Right? So I'd done it for my own bands and I had done my own recordings and I had done a few albums in the States with just kind of people I knew and I was pretty happy with the way they sounded. Uh, and then I came here and... Um, you know, I, I basically just sold everything I owned in the States and came here with a suitcase. And I was just kind of, you know, you know, putting down some roots and finger, figuring out what I wanted to do. And um, uh, there was a music production course at the Polytech. So I said, hey, that's cool. Like, I've always, you know, like, I love doing this. I might as well get some legitimate training doing that. And then I started the course. And then from there on, everything just kind of um, developed from that point. Yeah. So, how did you get into the industry? It was just like turning up and carrying all those cables around. Is that like the basic progression? Kind of starting at the bottom. Well, well, it's really all word of mouth. You do a bit of work, and then somebody hears and they like it, and then they ask you back. Yeah. Or they don't ask you back. You know, very rarely do people get fired in this industry. People just aren't asked back. Mm. At least that's my. Uh, I mean, I know people that have been told to leave in the middle of a show, which is pretty bad. 
but but generally it's just yeah you never get that you're fired it's just somebody else gets somebody yeah the phone doesn't ring somebody else takes that position if if they weren't digging what you do so what do you think the key of a good sound engineer sound engineer is um there's there's a there's a a a few things but having having all the technical chops and having the best mix is definitely not the most important thing it's having a really good work ethic um showing up on time staying sober throughout your gigs um it's it's really and anything that would make you successful at any any other job you know like um is kind of the basis of this industry as well. I think it's been glorified a lot more than it really is. Um, so yeah, it's it's good to have a musical sense and to technically know all the gear. Obviously, that stuff is very important. But there's a lot of other things that go along with it that aren't as glamorous as people think. Yeah. And how do you balance your time between different gigs when um, you've got different things on? Yeah. Um, well... I, I do do a few things that kind of make up, I guess you would say, my career. I do um, studio engineering at Studio 11B. I do live sound engineering. I also do a lot of live sound teching. There's a lot more position. So the, there's a lot more work in the live sound field than just the guy that mixes the sound out front. That would be like, I mean, lack of a better word, I only really know American sports terminologies, but that would be like the quarterback or the pitcher the guy who's mixing the sound. You know, there's a whole team of people behind them. And I do a lot of that work as well. There's there's backline tech, so there's people that get all the instruments ready on stage. There's um, patching techs, so those are the people that are in charge of putting up the microphones and plugging them in, making sure everything's getting to the mixer out front. There's monitor engineers. There's lighting guys, lighting techs. So there, there's so many different positions available. Um, but basically, you said, how do I balance it? It's basically you just, whoever calls you first. So somebody calls you says, hey, can you do a gig on the 20th? And you say, yep. And then you put that in your calendar. And then somebody else calls and says, hey, can you do a gig on the 20th? And you say, nope, I'm booked already. So it's, that's, that's kind of how it goes. And it's, it does get a bit complicated because when you are – because certain artists like you for the job you do. And you can work with multiple artists at a time, you know. But it's tough when two artists or two companies that use you are um, – having gigs at the same time and you kind of have to, you know, you, you have to say no to somebody and you have to say yes to somebody. Because now would be a pretty busy time, isn't it? Yeah, it's Some an incredibly busy time. And it, it's quite hard balancing people that want to come record at the studio with gigs I've already committed to months ago for the live sound companies I work for. So it can be, it can be quite stressful because you kind of want to make everyone happy because yeah. the worst thing to do in the industry is turn down work. Yeah. Like, because if you turn down work... They'll just go somewhere else, yeah. and if they go somewhere else, and that other person does a great job, then yeah. they're never going to call you again. Yeah, I guess it's not a it's not a huge industry in New Zealand, does it? There's only be- yeah, which is which is why it's tough to turn down work yeah. because if they do go to somebody else, like there's there's not a whole bunch of other people to go to. So if they go to somebody else and they have a good experience with that person, then they're not going to call that person that didn't, you know, that that couldn't get them in. So yeah, it's tough. And are you still playing? What about in a band? Yep. You still doing that? Yeah, I do. I play. I play drums in a band. Um, and yeah, I very much enjoy that. Uh, and you toured Japan. Was yeah, when yeah, was we that? did. Yeah, we did tour. That was that was uh, kind of autumn of la two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. So yeah, a year and a half ago. And what did you gain out of that experience? Or 
Uh, How many gigs did you play? We played a lot. I think we were there for 16 days, and we played like 13 or 14 gigs. We did a lot of gigs in the time that we were there. You know, we're a punk band, so we're not playing these epic arenas. We're playing, you know, little dive bars with 50 people at the gigs. But that's kind of the punk scene, and that's very fun. It looked good. I, yeah. I really enjoyed that kind of stuff because as an en- as a sound engineer, I spend so much time trying to make things sound really nice for people and getting things to sound really neat and, and be able to hear everything and and making things sound kind of really cohesive. But it's nice being able to get in my punk band and just make horrendous amounts of terrible noise and just unleash. And it's it's a good it's a good uh, release for me. And how was the Jap- Japanese audiences? Were they responsive to your... Yeah, the the Japanese audiences are incredibly honest, which is really, really neat. Like, if you play a song and they don't like it, it's just silence after you play the song, yeah. you know? So you, you very quickly learn what songs in your set are good and what songs in your set are bad, like, regardless of if you like the song. So, yeah, after so the first... polite clapping, it was just... Nah, it's just, like, silence. But that being said, they really, uh, they really seem to enjoy originality. So anything you play, if you're playing original music, they seem to be into. Cause yeah, which is which is pretty cool. And and the the singer, bass player slash frontman of our band is quite theatrical. So he does he puts on quite a lot. There's only so much I can do behind the drum kit other than flail my arms like a wild octopus. But our singer does jump around and throw things and tackle people and pick up chairs and jump off of stuff. So he puts on a good performance. Does being a drummer help you as a sound engineer, or is that is that different? Is that um, I think it's actually an incredibly common thing. I'd say most sound engineers I've ever met started off playing drums. Really? Yeah, and and some of the and some of my kind of idols as far as sound engineers or producers, Who they're, are some of they're your all idols? drummers. Um, so my ultimate favorite, probably engineer producer of all time, his name was Jerry Finn, and unfortunately he died in two thousand and eight very suddenly but um i just love the way his recording sound but um there's a couple that i really like i really like butch vig who's also a drummer he he's a drummer of the band garbage he's also but he's also he's produced nirvana and a whole bunch of other kind of grunge bands and, and rock bands and everything really um i really like him so he's a drummer um there's a really great engineer named uh new zealand engineer named clint murphy who is actually from uh, i think he's from Otomotai. Uh, but he, uh, he also started off as a drummer, but now he works with Gil Norton, who's a big record producer and, um, and Clint has done heaps of stuff. He's done like op shop and most of the stuff he was, I think he worked at York street for a long time. So he did quite a lot of stuff out of there. Um, I'm sure I can, the stuff I can name off that he's done is like pages long, but he's a, he's a big influence on me. So yeah. Have you got like a a goal for audio in the production world honestly my goal is to just have goals? yeah yeah this is my goal question. and my goal is just to always be able to live off of that like because i think a lot of people are under the misconception that you know you're either a starving artist slash you know working in the music industry you're either like that tortured starving person uh who's in it for the love of it or you are this glamorous person making millions when really there are there's every level in between that you know there's people that 
that just do it as a hobby and make part-time income. There's people that make a full-time income and, and can support themselves. And then there's, you know, people that do very well. Um, there's people all across the board. So my, my goal is consistently to just be able to, yeah, survive really. And I've been lucky enough to do so. I thought I'd do a little technical part for the, for the advanced listener. Okay. Um, microphones, do you want to? Say something technical about microphone or symbols. I know you're a big symbol. Yeah. Man. Well, I, I'm speaking into a microphone right, right now. Is it, you got like a recommended go-to microphone or? A... Oh man, like. I know it's not there, a, Yeah, there, there's recommended day. go-to microphones for everything. Yeah. You know, it's like um, it's like a color. You know, like you, what's the best color for a wall? I guess it depends. A, a, a off-white. <laughs> yeah, eggshell. <laughs> like eggshell. I don't. Yeah, mushroom cream. I don't know. Um. Yeah. It, so there's you know. There's microphones that cost, you know, a couple hundred bucks that are the industry standard that have been used for years and years and years. And there are microphones that are also an industry standard that have been used for years and years and years that cost $20,000. So, yeah, they, um, I think the most important thing is what you do with your microphone than what kind of microphone you have. And which is kind of blasphemy coming from me because I absolutely love gear and buying gear and selling gear and trading gear and listening to different bits of gear um okay what bit of what bit of equipment would you like to get next my next bit of okay well um i've just uh recently got what's called a blue bottle microphone which is uh it's a very f kind of fancy flashy looking mic but the coolest thing about it is um you can actually change the capsules on it you can un you they, you they literally just pop right off, and I'd like to get a collection of those because each of those capsules has like a different flavor to it. So you can get like ones that sound big and thick, and ones that sound really kind of clear and crispy. And, blue bottle. Yeah, it's called a blue bottle. It's a I'll it's a, a tube condenser microphone. It's a very it's a very flashy flashy fancy looking piece of kit, and I've kind of been lusting over it for about fifteen years. So the fact that I've finally been able to acquire one is um, makes me very happy. How would that rate compared to your motorcycle? I know you're a big motorcycle. Yes. What, what's more important, the motorcycle or the microphones? Um, it it, it go it, equal. yeah. It really depends. You know, I I can go through a right now. I'm in the phase of my gear is more important. Yeah. But I go back and forth, and then some. I mean, because I rode my motorcycle here today. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. I I if I had to choose one, I definitely choose like my, you know, engineering, producing gear, that kind of stuff. Obviously, because I don't make a living riding a motorcycle. No, you're no. trying. I'm not even <laughs> trying. I just I just ride it because it's a it's a quick and efficient means to get around. Um, I rode I rode very very slow bikes for years, and I never rode a motorcycle because I liked going fast. I rode a motorcycle because I hated spending money on gasoline. And they're extremely efficient, and you don't have to sit in traffic, and uh, that's that's why I started riding a motorcycle. Wow, that's a wild, crazy motorcycle story. I know, like I'm not I'm not a good person to have any wild, crazy motor. I mean, I I've gotten a few speeding tickets on them, but yeah, I don't drive a bike because I'm this ad adrenaline junkie. I'm a very um, yeah, I'm very uh, I don't know what the word is. I I do it. Because rational, rational, yeah. I'm a very rational rider. 
I'm going to do a topic change. Okay, sweet. Well, I mean, we are. We just motorcycles. I know. I'm, gonna, okay. I'm, 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 I'm going further away. And from now you. for something not, completely sorry, different. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of you, another favorite, greyhounds. Yes. People are going, what is talking Greyhounds. Yes. What a greyhound. I do have a greyhound. I've recently got a greyhound. I got him in April of 2019. So I've had him for about eight or nine months. And people might not know. Like, I didn't, what's, what's, what's the advantage? Of, why, why a greyhound? Well, um... Well, I live at the recording studio that I work in, and I live alone, and you're oftentimes, once, you know, the bands are gone and the recording's over, you know, you're just sitting there working on material for hours on end, and sometimes you don't even go outside, so it's actually, um, it can be reasonably lonely, Um, so I decide I'm going to get a dog. I grew up with dogs, and um, I love having dogs, so I was just doing a bit of research on dogs that are good in the con- in kind of confined spaces, you know, I, I the recording studio is in an in an industrial area, so there's not like a yard with a fence or or lots of greenery around. And so I was doing research, and I, and I was gonna kind of figure, oh man, I'm gonna have to get like a small little toy dog or something like that, which is not really something I wanted. No, no. Um, but you know, at least with a small little toy dog, I could put a basket on the back of my motorcycle. Oh, you yeah, know, you, you know, little yeah, goggles and stuff. Cool. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Um, so I was doing some, a bit of research, and um, it was basically like everywhere I looked said, if you want a dog that's good, like a low energy dog, that's good in, you know, small apartment style living, you either get yeah, like a a small toy dog, or you get a greyhound. And I was like, there's, there's no way a greyhound would be a good dog. They're racing dogs. They're going to be extremely high energy. And, and, uh, and I was incredibly wrong. They're actually the lowest energy dog. They, they, they sleep about 20 hours a day. So they're kind of about a cat personality. And there's a couple of parks around me where I, uh, I go to a couple times a week or the beach. And he has a bit of a sprint. But they generally just like laying on couches. In a short coat, haven't they? They have a very short coat. They don't shed a lot. They don't smell. They have a, they produce a different, uh, I guess they produce a different type of like body oil than a lot of the other dogs do. So he doesn't smell at all. I've had him for, you know, nine or, or eight or nine months and people that walk into the studio have no idea that there's a dog there because it doesn't smell like a dog. And his coat is extremely thin. They don't shed a lot. He doesn't bark at all. He's great with sitting inside for a long period of time if I need to go out to work or something like that. I think that's just because of the way they've been brought up in the racing industry. They're kind of they're kept inside a lot. I mean, I I don't honestly I don't know too much about the racing industry. I know there are good sides and bad sides to it, just like there would be to everything else. But um, he one of those rescue yeah. sites you went to to get it. The- yeah, yeah, yeah. I got him from a place called Nitrate, which is down in Fielding, and they're a great adoption agency. And they vet you before you get them. You know, you 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 kind of. You say a little bit about yourself and your living situation, and and they match you with an animal or with a dog that kind of fits that. And um, yeah, I've had I've had his name's Billy. His racing name was Boston Billy, and uh, he's fantastic. Everybody loves him. He's he just if there's any stress in the studio, he just completely just eradicate or what is it, eradicates the stress. Eradicates. Yeah, he just gets rid of the stress because he's an incredibly calm. Uh, calm is putting it nicely. He's actually lazy. Like he just sits around. He'll take, you got to be careful though, because if you get off off the couch, he'll take your spot because he likes warm spots. So he's, they're incredibly calm, nice, well-tempered dogs. They don't eat a lot. They don't shed a lot. And I've, I've been trying to get everyone 
to get a greyhound because yeah. I think they're just fantastic animals. I think people have, people have a bad misconception of them because they see them racing and they see them wearing muzzles all the time yeah, yeah. when really they're actually like the calmest and probably most e- even-tempered dog. You do have to be slightly careful of the fluffy cat though, don't you? Yeah, some of them. I mean, I'm well, sure. yeah. Well, they're, really well, they're trained. they're trained to chase this thing. You know, especially the racing ones. So they're trained all their life to chase this thing as fast as they possibly can. So they have that prey drive in them. Um, so, yeah, generally when you're taking them on walks and stuff, like, they, they notice things. They notice plastic bags blowing in the wind. They notice, um, you know, white birds and seagulls and stuff like that. But Billy's pretty good. But it's just a thing. you got to be careful so they don't go off chasing anything because they do like to chase things. Good to know. Good to know. Getting back to sound, yes, I should get back to that. Have you, have you, what's the sort of the best sound gig you've been to? The best sounding gig yeah. I've ever been do you, to. Do you go to the oh, gigs man. and go, hmm, let me just listen to the quality? I, 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 I definitely do. I definitely, and it's something I, yeah, I, I probably actually I went to see a band called Me First in the Gimme Gimmies a while ago, and they were up at the power station. And I remember, like I said, they were up at the power, which is mm. a venue that I think sounds is one of the better sounding venues in New Zealand, and. And that sounded really good. Um, but best sounding? No, nah, I couldn't. I, I well, yeah, uh, I want to really know. I mean, there, there's. Oh, you know what? Here's one. Um, and this is this is. Uh, I do like I do a lot of these festivals and stuff, so I I do have a chance to listen to other sound engineers working. Not this year. So not not Bay Dreams 2019. Oh no, no, not Bay Dreams 2020, which has just happened, but. Bay Dreams 2019, so about a year ago, I watched Tikitane mix Shapeshifter, and it was the most insane sounding thing I'd ever heard in my life. Like, that man is a genius. Like, an absolute master of his craft mixing. And he was on and and he was on a PA system he'd never mixed on before, a brand new PA system this company brought in, um, and it sounded phenomenal. Probably the best I've ever heard a festival sound. And it was, yeah, it was insane. It's good to know. Yeah. Did you do the drums for a Toto? Was it? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I did a Toto tour last year, and I was the drum tech for the whole tour. So I did. Uh, so I personally drum teched for Dragon and Jefferson Starship, or Jefferson, yeah, Jefferson Starship. So I personally sound teched for them, and then I kind of assisted this the drum tech for uh, Toto because Toto has their own drum tech, who is this insanely good drum tech who's drum tech for slayer and pantera he does a lot of drumming in like the heavy drum teching for like the heavy metal scene um so i I had a good talk to him and it was was pretty cool listening to his stories of other you know guys that he's drum teched for but yeah that's pretty cool pretty pretty big drum setup toto has Mm -hmm. well now we get to plug a product oh yeah section so you plug it plug something I'll take this time. I could take this time to plug my own studio, really, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so our studio is called Studio 11B. Um, We're in the Mount. Um, We are a multi-room facility. We've got lots of fancy gear. I have lots of fancy drums. Um, We have about 20 or so guitars, a lot of vintage guitars, vintage guitar amps as well. We've got about 200 guitar pedals. What about the disc? Our desk is a Trident Series 70. It is, um, so it's an old vintage British made desk. Um, 28 channels. And it was Radio Hierarchies before we had it. It was their original production council back in the late 70s or early 80s. So we've kind of brought that back to life. 
So that's kind of the heart of our studio. We record into Pro Tools like a lot of studios do these days. Um, but yeah, so we have a mix of kind of analog gear and uh, digital gear. It's mainly digital now. Well, I mean, most of our gear is analog, yeah. but we just record into Pro Tools. Oh, yeah. So like all our outboard compressors and preamps and EQs, those are all analog. Um, but then it's just, we basically use the computer as a tape machine, you know, maybe not as vibey of a tape machine as an actual tape machine, but that's, we just kind of dump it into, into Pro Tools and then, uh, yeah. So go to the website. Which is studio11b.co.nz. Studio11b.co.nz. And find out more. Yeah. And find out more. And find out more. Thank you, Evan. Well, thank you. For your time. Thank you.